Hi, Change Cultivators listeners. We are back with Mahul Kapadia for part two of our discussion with him. Um, in our previous uh, uh, chat with Mahul, he spoke about some of the practices and policies and, and business initiatives that um, he's seen being driven across you know, companies. He's worked in Tata Communications, more specifically Vodafone, um, looking at what it takes for a company to get into you know, leadership credibility, such as the Gartner Magic Quadrant, Vodafone's Fit for the Future report. Um, and so we're really back with him now uh, today in part two to have a look at the particular attributes that change leaders need to drive in order to get teams and companies into the positions that companies like the Vodafone have found themselves. So, Mahul, I want to dive into the Fit for the Future report. We discussed that um, previously. And I just want to hear from you how, you know, the key attributes of this report or, you know, applied to the teams you've managed. So some of the things um, the report pulls out is, you know, having a positive attitude to change, being open to new technology, a company's plans for future technology, detailed strategies, up-to-date emerging trends, and being adaptable. And if we have a look at, you know, being a different kind of leader, which is really the theme of this uh, season, you know, there's two things that really stand out for me for you as a leader, you know, having known you for, for a long time across various companies, and that is, you know, the fostering of an understanding of change as a mindset versus a destination, you know, and also, you know, a, a leader that's an enabler of change, readiness and agility. So really not responding, but having that in your DNA, you know, and if you look at the report you guys have done from Vodafone, how are you seeing this playing out in your day to day, um, you know, operations in Vodafone, A, as a leader and a manager, but also as an employee under the leadership of the company? Yeah, and, and listen, see, while we that report has been done looking at companies and overall companies from that perspective, if if I may share more from my experiences across different organizations that I've been in, right, in terms of the way I look at it, see, one thing, and, and you know, we've all heard this before, there are leaders, and then there are those who lead, right, and there is a key difference. And one of the things that I've noticed is that typically a lot of our time, especially because we have to execute, we have to get things done, get spent on the how and the what. We all want to be outcome-based leaders. And actually it's good to be an outcome-based leaders that actually this is somebody who's driving performance, driving an outcome, et cetera. However, when you deep dive within it, what is the real secret sauce? Is it the how and what? Or is it the why? Why are we doing something, right? And this is perhaps a question at every level, at a level for a company as to why does that company exist, the different functions that exist within it. But even at an individual level, as a leader, as you look at your team, why are we doing something? Why would we do it in a particular way that's going to influence something differently? And that why question somewhere for me has become a more precious question uh, rather than the how and the what, right? Mm. And that's what's something I've tried to adapt into the way I've looked at building teams, uh, whether it was earlier at Tata Communications or then at Motorsport Network or now at Vodafone Business. Yeah, because at the, I suppose at the end of the day, it's people have got to believe in what they're doing, right? So if you give them a whole set of objectives to achieve and they go, well, I don't really know what we're doing versus actually, I really believe in this and I know it's going to make a difference. I understand it. Yeah, I hear you. I think that's a, 
a fantastic uh, angle to to look at, particularly as we become more people focused. You know, we've come out of a pandemic. You know, we talk about a more um, emotionally present leader. Um, you know, we people have opened up their their homes. You know, during the pandemic, you know, they've changed. Patrick, what was the term our previous guest used? The great exodus or resignation resignation yeah the great exactly. resignation you know the, the theme that's going um across the industry which is this great resignation you know people are coming out of the pandemic going actually i don't want to do the job i used to i've seen a different way of doing stuff and actually i've gone through hardship and the why is more important to me now than ever before you know why am i with this company why am i doing what i'm doing why am i spending all this these hours in a day when actually i can you know carve my own my own future and agenda here in a company that I feel fits my why as well. Exactly. And, and actually, if you look at some of the <clears throat> big industry examples, right, and typically, while we know Steve Jobs for his vision, I'm sure we've heard stories about his temper, right? Mm -hmm. Where we know Richard Branson for the way he's built stuff, we also know probably about his ruthlessness of how he's mm -hmm. got things done. But still, they have had absolutely massive successful organizations in so many different businesses and things and probably somewhere and at least that's the inspiration I take from that that they were probably very clear about the why and that probably mm -hmm. led people to innovate around them and and do things which were thought to be impossible yeah, yeah. You're, you're you're making me flash back to Simon Sinek right um and it sounds like you may have read read Simon Sinek's book which is all about start with why right and uh the quote from Sinek's book um which I think you're going at in terms of the heart of how to be a leader is something around the notion that there are really only two ways to influence human behavior apply that to organizational leaders there's really two ways to get your people to move you can either manipulate them or you can inspire them Right, you could, and and the and the why is the inspirational piece. It's not the how; it's the why. And so, what I hear you saying is, you know, a lot of this as we kind of get leadership lessons from whether your company is fit for the future, are you as a leader fit for the future? And one of the things I think you're laying down very strongly is, are you constantly communicating the why? And I love that, right? I think it's a great leadership lesson. I want to dig into a little bit, um, and I, I, I like how the conversation's pivoted. So I want to come back and let people know how they might like dig into the Fit for the Future report. But to me, that's much more about, is your business fit for the future? I kind of like the little pivot that we're doing here, which is, are you as a leader fit for the future? Um, because I, you're, you're opening up a whole area for exploration. And you, one of the things that the Fit for the Future says, you know, you're adaptable. Um, we would count we would call that you're, you're, you're willing to challenge the status quo with your team as a leader. Um, so talk a little bit about that, you know, your leadership experience saying um, there's operational leaders who are successful because they can make things work on time and kind of make things real, be really efficient. But that's not our kind of leadership when we talk about change leadership. There's leaderships that actually have to be challenging the status quo and saying, well, yeah, you may make that work on time, but why are we doing it at all, right? So some of the lessons from your from your from our past discussion, I'm coming back to me. So talk a little bit about this notion of being a, a leader who's willing to take on the status quo and help your team take on the status quo because that's so critically important in dynamic environments. Yeah, no, absolutely. And see, um, <clears throat> uh, since since you mentioned the book, there is actually an interesting report also which has come out by an organization here in Europe, TML Partners, where they've looked at six different leadership styles, right? So they've looked at, <clears throat> there are bureaucratic leaders, there are servant leaders, there are transformational leaders, then there are democratic leaders, uh, some are charismatic leaders, and then the others are autocratic leaders. Now, 
in some sense, while there are, they've categorized them as six different buckets and you know, you can be, I actually feel, are we agile enough to be able to switch gears Yes. between these different boxes. You're, you're not just one, right? It's right. situational to some degree, correct? Exactly, right? And, and that is where the true leadership traits will come through because a bureaucratic leader probably is really good at frameworks. It's very good at getting processes, et cetera, done. Now, there could be certain instances where you need that, right? And at certain instances, you need to be this transformational person helping just drive absolute amount of change, still taking people along. So I think to the point that you raised, Patrick, it's really interesting about how A, leaders having the appreciation for the different styles of leadership, right? And then being self-aware of how and what they need to do at what instant. And I still feel it is authentic. So it does not mean that if you're changing your operating style, you're not authentic. You're just true to the pitch that you're batting on, right? To put a cricketing reference. Yeah, right, exactly, right. And and you may be dominant in one particular leadership style, but what I hear you saying, and I violently agree with, is you actually need to be fluent in some other styles too. And you need to be uh, contextually aware enough to say, I have to actually move to this side of my uh, of my repertoire to be able to do that, right? And so I love that book. I'd love to, that whatever leadership that study is, we could drop a link to that in, uh, in the show notes. So let everybody get advantage of kind of what you referenced in there, because I think it's really important to think through eight leadership styles and where are you dominant? And where do you need to be fluent in order to be able to drive this notion of leading a team through different situations and circumstances? And Maha, how do you think a leader, like a you know CEO, team leaders, how do you think they can be present to the shift in leadership styles? Because you can get onto the treadmill and go, okay, I'm in this leadership style and this is working. And then obviously the environment changes because your leadership style will change with either you've reached your objectives or the environment's changed or the competition's changed. What tips would you give to a leader to say, how can you be present to knowing when it is time to shift gears? What are the really basic little techniques a leader should be deploying to be aware of when the gear shift is necessary? No, totally, Ros. And I think, see, this is where surround yourself with diversity, right? Of all kinds, right? Whether it is gender, whether it is skills, whether it is uh, opinion, right? Are, are you a leader who actually uh, is willing to listen to different ideas and thoughts? And are you surrounding yourself with people who are believe in that diverse opinion, right? I think that's where the best output always comes out from. Yeah. And I'm going back to our time with uh, Vinod in the Taj Vinod Kumar in the the Tata Communications days, I mean, he was a CEO that would walk the floor, yeah. you know, I mean, he was never at his desk, he was always on every level of the business, walking around, walking around, you know, and I'd often ask him, you know, you, you know, but you, you've got all this energy, and he's like, I don't know what's going on if I don't walk around, like, I want to go talk to people, ask them about their family, see how their day is going, so I also think it's that, that humility and, and getting to know people behind your employees as well, right? Yeah, so, and you know, uh, sorry, just to build on that, see, it's also for a leader, it's important to be able to know when to challenge and when to support, mm. right? And I think that that balance has to be there so that mm. then you are able to do that positive change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
No, I hear you. So I want to go back to this concept of why you're doing things versus the what and the how. And um, we're seeing a lot of, well, I mean, this is a necessary move for the industry as a whole, but brands, um, you know, really looking at uh, going to this concept of why, why they are doing things, why they exist, you know, uh, what are the values of the company? What's the mission of the company? And this is becoming more and more important, particularly with the, you know, employee group that's coming out of college now, our younger generation, they're very, very focused on, you know, I'm not just working for a company for a paycheck. I'm working for a company because I need to like them. I need to want them. What do they stand for, et cetera? And this really, you guys have got a program called Bring Back Friday, which I'm going to ask you to tell our listeners about, but it really touches on the environmental aspects of brands. So, you know, it's it's really having a look at we don't just exist for commercial reasons actually we're living in a, a day and age now where you know we have to have you know have value to the ecosystem around us and to human beings um so you know you, you know, please touch on the, the bring back the friday program which i think our listeners will find very interesting but what sort of trends should leaders be watching out for in this regard with regards to businesses and brands and operating in 2020 and beyond yeah, I mean, the, the Bring Back Friday, I'm really proud of Vodafone, you know, of having done something like that as an initiative into the market. Uh, if we think of it, there are millions and millions of phones lying around in our houses, which are probably not getting used, right? Yeah. Because you upgrade to a new iPhone or a new Samsung and the old one is still lying there somewhere. And actually, the more we are able to repurpose and recycle, right? It's good for the environment. And it's also good because you're extending it further that reach of that handset and device into probably people who are not able to afford it. So I think it does a twin benefit of actually being more sustainable in that sense. And at the same time, actually helping uplift a larger section of the community on the digital side. So Vodafone has very strong three purpose pillars. One of them is around sustainability and planet. One of them is around digital uh, society. And the third is on inclusivity, right? And all of those, if you see, in some sense, get met by this. And, and there is a commercial benefit for everybody in this, right? Because you as a consumer who's returning back an old phone gets a credit to buy a new device. So you're getting into that ladder. We're able to get more people to access mobile services and hence probably get more coverage, et cetera. So I think there is a value chain. And hence to that point, Roz, if that why can be done in a way that it's adding value across the chain, then you'll always get more support for it. Yeah, it's not a CSR initiative, which is the, the old fashioned way of running companies. And so we, you know, throwing some money at an initiative and, and putting out a press release. It's actually, we're doing it because we believe in the outcome, you know, to the people, to the environment, to the revenue. And how do you, how do we shift? How would you um, suggest we shift this importance of this thinking which is sustainability as a mindset versus an event. As I say, in the past, you'd put some money against an initiative and now it's really, actually, this is a mindset. And it's not just in businesses, it's in our consumer life. You know, I mean, my family, I drive them nuts. You know, I'm like, they have they use straws. I'm like, really? I mean, you're still living in the 70s. We don't use plastic straws anymore. You know, and I even sit in restaurants and tell the restaurant owners how much money they could save if they got rid of their plastic straws. But, you know, the, we, we're seeing it in our personal lives. But how in business do you feel 
corporations can get the, the employees to see this as part of the DNA. You know, the, it's a mindset. This is not an event. This is not a Bring Back Friday program. This is actually how we think as a business in everything we do. You know, absolutely. I mean, you 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 said it right. I think organizations clearly thrive. Most organizations, at the end of the day, the commercial performance is important, right? And if they're commercially sustainable, then they can do all the good stuff that they talk about. So the reality is businesses do need a commercial model to succeed. And that's where if they can find that intersection of that commercial model and social impact, then actually they can drive change uh, with everybody backing it rather than resistance. Because then you're not forcing change for the sake of change, right? Mm. You're actually saying that's a better way to do it. And hence I'm doing it. And I'm not doing it only because it is more sustainable. Right. Mm. And I say that cautiously because actually you should do it because it is more sustainable. But if you can see the commercial benefit of it. Yeah. And I think also it's not having too many things. It's actually keeping focused. It's what are our one or two initiatives. It's not because a lot of companies have 15 different social impact initiatives. And you're like, where do we start? Why are we actually again? It comes back to the why. Why are we actually doing this versus, okay, at the core is, let's just say, you know, elevating the environments around us or the communities around us and then picking less is more, staying focused and keeping everyone on track. Very cool. Very cool discussion. I, I'm going to unfortunately have to wrap us up for this episode, um, but I don't feel too bad about that because we get an episode three to come up too. So uh, thank you, Mohul, for sharing kind of those leadership thoughts. I might even say the wisdom that you shared with our listeners was really powerful uh, on a lot of fronts. I have a couple of notes that we'll make sure we get into there, this notion of different leadership styles, and we'll link to you know that reference that, that Mohul made. The whole Fit for the Future report. Again, people can go to that report and participate in it, and I think there's some assessments around it, right? Mahul, how, how can people kind of get more access and deeper into that work you've done with the London School, Vodafone's done with London School of Economics? Yeah, thank you so much. And I think the more people who can leverage it, the better. So if you go to vodafone.com slash business uh, on that link, you'll be able to find the Fit for the Future report. And yeah, you can download it, go through it. There are some nice assessment tools linked to it as well. Perfect. And so, you know, we, we often say that great change leaders actually have to be a little bit revolutionary, which means you have to constantly be learning some new stuff. So this is a source for, for new stuff. And we will be back in episode three, where we'll dig deeper into uh, some really practical tips and tricks and hacks. Um, pick Mahul's brain even more to kind of come up with a punch list of things that are in his head that will be helpful for any leader of change. So thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back with episode three. Whoa, 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 and move ahead to your destination, shine so bright.